Welcome back to the next episode of Eldritch Girl, where we are serialising my novel 13th, which is all rights reserved. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel, and if you've got the ebook or paperback to read along, the illustrations are by Thomas Brown. In this episode, we're covering chapter 6, parts 1 and 2, and the first section is a Wes section, so it's got a very scrambled, under-the-influence point of view. There's suicide ideation in context of um, a deliberate car crash. There's father-son estrangement and references to cocaine and fictional designer drugs. In Katie's point of view, you have references to historic animal cruelty, a toxic and manipulative friendship, and a bit of sexually active teenage drama. So good luck with all of that, um, and we will move on to <laughs> chapter 6, parts 1 and 2 in episode 10. <laughs> chapter 6, Strange Meeting I'm afraid of myself, of what I'm becoming. Susan Hill, Strange Meeting. 13th to 14th of January. Wes plastered on his pretend smile, dabbing away the last drops of his £25 worth of nosebleed. People hung around with loose hands trailing over his waistcoat, buying him drinks, all the drugs he wanted. Strands of conversation wove around the thumping bass. Who's that guy? Why didn't I recognise him? How does his face disappear like that? What are you talking about? Get him back over here. I don't know why. Just ask him. Brown hair. Black hair? I don't know. Does it matter? That guy. His phone rang and he ducked into the opulent men's room to answer it, although the signal was dodgy. Uncle Barry, to what do I owe the pleasure? You better not be high off my fucking pills, his uncle growled in his ear. I want the money tomorrow. Oh, yeah, you can have it. I've got it. It's fine. Wes steadied himself on the porcelain sink, checking out a guy with a half a million pound watch as he missed the urinal. Unsurprising with a cock like that. Equally nice watch. Bet you wouldn't miss it. What did you say about my cock? His uncle asked, amused. Nothing? Shit. Your thoughts had better be on the inside of your skull. They're for selling, Wesley. Wes tried to focus on his royal blue nail polish. Yeah, I got that. Yes, selling them. So far, external thoughts happened in just over half the cases, which Wes had been noting on his phone. No one he'd challenged to a bet afterwards had won, either. Everyone else just seemed to have a good time, nothing to write home about. Wes was starting to think the silver lining was wasted on the proles, even ones with half a million pound watches. It wasn't as if he couldn't just give Uncle Barry his own cash, for fuck's sake. Keep them. Then the old bastard could flog them to whoever else he wanted, but Wes would have a little stash of his own. Good lad, don't let me down. Uncle Barry hung up. Wes shook his head and eyed watch guy's arse as he left. What was he doing here? Wes knew he didn't belong here. He missed the grimy clubs of Pagamon Sea where he'd grown up, where they didn't look twice at your fake ID, and sweat condensed and dripped down the back of your neck from the low ceilings and your shoes stuck to the floor. He missed the thrills and the untouchable shine of being a porter in a place where everyone knew his grandmother and wouldn't say a damn thing. Then again... He liked not working. He loved his partners. He enjoyed all this. Didn't he? He wished Charlie was here too. He missed her all of a sudden, as if something had just burst in his chest. Charlie had a date, which was fine. She told him to relax and not be an arsehole, and that Hugo would tell him what was going on in his own time. Hugo, so far, had kept nearly telling him, then bottling it. Wes couldn't bear it. He dragged himself back to where he'd left Hugo and let the world spin around him, myriad shards of light and colour whirling and buffeting at his scattered attention, utterly lost. He had convinced himself that Hugo wanted to break up with him and just didn't know how to do it. Good. 
Wes kept imagining him being abducted off the street by Uncle David and his boys, and the best thing he could think of was that Hugo's life changes should include getting as far away from Wes and his fucking family as possible. He was sure he'd left Hugo at the bar for only a few minutes, but he'd lost track of time. The club beats pounded through him, his veins electrified. Somehow, despite his size, Hugo managed to blend in like a chameleon with everyone else, even though he was the only person Wes knew who wore a suit and tie to a nightclub like this. He pulled Hugo away from his financier friends without ceremony, mid-conversation. Fuck them. Hugo shouted something he couldn't hear. The lights hit him, fragmenting him like a kaleidoscope. Wes wanted to be like him, this warm, simple man who tried to see the best in people. Falling in love with him had been like stepping out of a vacuum and into a place where he could take a deep, fresh breath. Wes ached for those earlier, simpler, better times, but had no idea how to get back there. Hugo pulled him away from the dance floor, firm and brooking no argument, although Wes didn't resist and would have followed him into hell. God, you're so clean, aren't you? Wes pushed him down onto the upholstery, purple leather gleaming like the lights on Hugo's thick sweep of hair. Not a stain on you. He meant clean cut, like a marble statue, something even he couldn't fuck up. He prayed to Grandad that was true. Hugo showed no signs of Charlie's addiction, but people reacted to Wes in different ways. Some of his fuck buddies couldn't even remember his name, or thought he was a different person each time. Where Charlie had thrown herself into him like an offering into an abyss, Hugo was drawn like a neglected moth offering itself up to the flame of something greater, something special, but as yet showed no signs of scorching. Deep down, Wes had always known he'd leave eventually. Something that sweet couldn't last. Hugo's mouth twitched. He caught Wes by the wrist, pulling him closer and into the seat. We've got to talk, he said, in that apologetic way of his whenever the other person was at fault. Wes cringed and sighed. I'll pay the rent as long as you need. I don't have to be there. I can check out my tenants and take my flat back if you give me time. What? What are you talking about? Wes blinked, pinching the bridge of his nose, eyes suddenly full. Ah, uh, he inhaled sharply. The flat, you know, the Chelsea flat I bought three years ago. No, I mean... Why are you moving out? Why would we move to Chelsea? I'm not... I'm not moving to Chelsea. Wes looked up. Can we not beat about the bush, Huey? If you want to end it, just tell me, yeah? Give me my marching orders. Don't... don't draw it out. His boyfriend stared at him, the image of gentle, warm-eyed bafflement. Why? I mean, no. That's not... Grief Chacha said you'd take this all the wrong way. Wes smirked in spite of himself. He couldn't imagine anyone but Hugo calling Charlie Chacha. He shook his head. Wouldn't you be better off without me, anyway? Hugo spluttered out a laugh, broad shoulders shaking. Without you? I couldn't say boo to a goose without you. He grew serious, taking care to look at the silk and lace of Wes's Commedia dell'arte mask and not at the eyes behind it that he wouldn't remember. Do you think it matters to me what you look like or don't? You open my eyes to possibilities I, I couldn't have imagined before I met you, and... I couldn't have stood up to father without you. Mummy's going spare and won't even speak to me, and it doesn't matter because I've... I'm the luckiest man in the world. He smiled, but Wes saw the pain in it. His joking tone rang false over the music as he raised his voice a little. Cha-Cha's folks are great. I think they want to adopt me. One of us ought to have a decent family. Wes swallowed. So, what is it? Don't, don't tell me you finally stood up to your old man. Hugo's shy smile twitched, and Wes burned with pride. You serious? That's fucking brilliant. Fuck him. You fucking brilliant man. He kissed him hard, relief pouring out of him, sagging into Hugo with the release. He broke the kiss and grinned wildly. I'm so fucking proud of you. What? Oh, right. Everything slotted into place. 
He's throwing you out of the apartment. That's it, isn't it? Oh, God, Huey, you could have told me that. I'll pay for it. Yeah, and he he's cut me off. Out. Completely. You know, I'm... I got a place to study for my PGCE and I need, well, I need some money. Hugo squirmed. I should have had a bit put by, I know, but I'm hopeless with savings and the three accounts in my name aren't. Well, I haven't been as good with them as I said I have, tell the truth, and I didn't think the old man would actually cut me off. I hoped he'd, you know, he gave a hopeless shrug. I hoped he'd support me, I guess. Wes rolled his eyes, relief flowing over him in waves. Poor Hugo. Wes had only met Chumley Senior a handful of times at corporate events. The man radiated bully like a flashing sign. He'd fit right into the porters. No wonder Hugo had fallen face first into the idea of otherworldly beings. He'd done so with the desperation of someone who wanted to be liked by everyone, even if everyone included, well, Wesley's family. Wes had a feeling this last thought was a tad incoherent, but he couldn't figure out why since it was basically true and dismissed it. He shook his head, trying to focus. I'll support you. Whatever you want, you know that. But it's one more thing to put on you. Hugo looked stricken now, twisting in his seat, bumping his ribs against the edge of the table. That's... that's the other thing. What's going on? I can't... what are you scared of? I... he couldn't. He couldn't. He shook his head, lost. But Hugo wasn't going anywhere, and he wasn't going to let him get away with silence. He winced, pulling himself up a little straighter, and studied his hands. Katie. I'm scared of Katie. Wes remembered Uncle Marcus's threats. All of them, to be honest. Hugo knew a little about the various branches of his family, but he probed. What happened this summer? The chemicals had kicked in enough to drown out his pride. Enough was enough. Fuck it. They... we voted to... to... to kill her. He couldn't look him in the face. And I... I don't know how to take it back. I don't know how to help her, and I don't want to die. Good God. Hugo breathed out, barely audible over the music. She's a kid, Wes. Wes crumpled. He nodded miserably, fighting tears. I don't want anything to happen to you, either. They're, they'll hurt you if I cross the elders and they think I can get Katie for them. She's, she's run away. Good for her. Hugo squared his shoulders. We can, we can go somewhere until it's all over, right? Babe, don't, don't cry. He rubbed Wes's back through the silk and Wes folded back into him, clinging to his partner like the big naive Pratt was a life preserver. You can't get away from them like that. You didn't ask for this. I just dragged you in, didn't I? You could leave. I want you to. I want you to leave me. Be safe. I want... Hugo kissed him. Wes barely held back a sob. Hugo broke the kiss and stroked his cheek. Okay, well, you can fix it. I know you can. You'll do the right thing. Wes wondered who the hell Hugo thought he'd been fucking for four years, but he desperately wanted to be that man. I'm not going anywhere, Hugo promised him. Neither's Cha-Cha, and that's not because she... Not just because she can't. He dropped his gaze a fraction and Wes shifted, sick with guilt. I need you. Why don't you tell your cousin, what's his name, Ricky? Hugo gave his shoulder a gentle, reassuring squeeze. Isn't he powerful, as far as you lot are concerned? Wes snorted. Hugo had never met Ricky, or any of the clan for that matter. He had everything second-hand and sanitised. He also hadn't heard anything that counted as positive about Ricky Porter, but here he was, thinking the best of someone he'd never met, and had only heard being critiqued. Ricky's a jealous, sociopathic little shit, Wes reminded him. 
Why should he care about you? He barely cares about himself. He only cares about Katie because he's trying to use her for something, and we're not exactly the best of friends. He bit his thumbnail. I could do what he does, you know. I could be the one and only, or whatever he calls himself. I could. He stopped, the silver outline of memory teasing him. Shit. I really could. He almost had an idea, a scheme, but it melted in the face of Hugo's chiselled jaw and puppy-eyed concern. He sighed. I don't know what to do. I don't know... I should talk to Katie, go back to town, see what she makes of it, but if she thinks I'm weaker than she already thinks I am, she'll put me on the list and come for me faster. First, I don't know. That's what they say the list is for, pruning the weakest of us. He shuddered. That's me, ain't it? That's always been me. Hugo smiled at his broadening accent. He always said he shouldn't be ashamed of it, but Wes thought it made him sound common. So did all their friends. And Charlie's parents, who already hated him for obvious reasons, which was entirely fair. Wes clamped his mouth shut. Go home and talk to Katie, then. Go home? Hugo caught the frown before it vanished from his memory. That's not what I meant. Wes pulled himself together, knowing he probably wouldn't be all right to drive tomorrow, knowing he'd be driving down anyway, knowing he was a waste of air and he should wrap the Ferrari around a tree and hope he wasn't as cockroach-resilient as the rest of his clan. And then what? Uncle Marcus might go after Charlie and Hugo anyway, out of spite. What would theatrics achieve? His heart clenched. You know, if I die... I think I get permanently erased. I hope I do. Gran thought so. She's... She was usually right. He twitched his lips into a wobbly smile that wouldn't stick. God, I hope so. I hope so. I couldn't leave you... Hugo kissed him. Not fiercely, a life-or-death kiss, the way only Charlie could kiss him. Hugo kissed him like he was fragile, like his breath could fill Wes up and cure him of whatever smoke-dark thing lurked inside. Wes melted into him, kissing Hugo back through the pounding in his head, Hugo's tongue braving the chemical desert of his parched mouth, and he never wanted to let him go. Hugo broke it first. Better? Wes turned his head away and scanned the dance floor, thinking about his sibling group chat and how it was most recently dominated by Liam's dirty memes and Kim's endless baby pictures and Nicole's endless bitching. He was their older brother too. What if they were on the list? He couldn't save everyone, and he wasn't sure he could save himself. He forced a smile. Better. Hugo's mouth twitched at the corners in that nervous way of his, but for the moment, Wes hoped, was content to believe him. 14th of January Monday brought with it its own set of challenges. Katie was afraid she wouldn't be able to leave for college, but Ricky hadn't lied to her. The front door was open, the gates unlocked. She made it to the road and jogged to the bus stop, about fifteen minutes away from the house. She didn't have to go back there. She couldn't go home, either. Not now she knew her dad was seriously thinking about... She didn't know what. Well, she knew what, just not how. He must be pretty practised by now. She realised she had no idea what his signature was, or if he even had one. It was something she'd never thought about, a fact about him she'd deliberately overlooked. It repulsed her, like the idea of her parents having sex... At least Fairwood House was quiet. Apart from Ricky, it was pretty cool to have the whole place to herself. She still wasn't sure what he wanted. To protect her, okay, you could put that down to traditionalism, or because he believed her cull was fated, fine. But could he actually help her control who to put on the list? It was meant to be automatic. She'd been having the dreams, night terrors really, except where the terror was her, since she was six. She remembered all of them, all the names, the faces, everyone doomed to be torn apart as soon as she changed. 
She had woken screaming, thinking her hands had become something she couldn't manage, couldn't control, that she had actually torn Auntie Janie apart, and her taste was still on her tongue. Rachel said she should practice, since she was squeamish. Rachel never joined in, but she liked to watch, lying in the grass on her stomach, kicking her legs in the air, plucking daisies as Katie practised wringing the necks of whatever they'd managed to catch. Even at age seven, Rachel was good at trapping things. Rachel had taught her how to blend in at school, how to talk to other kids, what she shouldn't ever say. Katie wanted to tell Rocket about the squirrels or Wes, but Rachel had threatened twice to stop being friends with her if she did. Katie didn't want to be the creepy girl with no friends. She had kept quiet, got semi-used to the sounds and the squirming, at least enough to not throw up afterwards. Eventually, Rachel had tired of their animal practice sessions, and Katie stopped trying to desensitise herself with a huge amount of relief, knowing she still had her best friend. So that had worked out okay. She zoned out on the bus ride into town, thinking about the big house and its echoing rooms, its warm skin. Walls, paint, she meant. Why did she think that? Its missing owner, the way Ricky spoke to it, the gentle way he stroked the woodwork and brick, the panic in his face when she picked up the poker. The concrete brutalism of the college was a rude awakening. It was noisy, crowded with students, drawing them into its boxy rooms and cuboid corridors, soulless and cold, the painted colours falsely optimistic, like rouge on a crying clown. Katie thought of the grand entrance hall she'd just left, the mahogany elegance of the banisters silky under her hand. The metal rail and well-lit stairs to the first floor shocked her back to reality. No, she wouldn't be going back there. But it was as if the house she'd left knew that as if it was calling her back, as if it understood her. What a weird thing to think. It was only an old house. She went into Mr Anwar's psychology class to focus on the multi-store model of memory, doodling windows and wallpaper motifs in her textbook. Rachel was waiting for her outside after their first class of the day and pounced on her immediately, wrapping her in a big, relieved hug. Oh my God, are you okay? You haven't answered our messages. We were going nuts. What happened? I can't believe you're still here. Katie hugged her back. I didn't get very far. What happened? Ricky grabbed me. Rachel blanched. Oh, shit. Even so, there was a frisson of excitement in Rachel's voice that Katie didn't quite trust. Rachel had seen Cousin Ricky, high as fuck and taking on Katie's siblings for a laugh, had seen what he could do with his bare hands, even before his changes. She had hidden with Katie in Gran's kitchen cupboard once when a family row had gotten out of hand and Gran had ended up showing her true face to sort it out. She'd watched him reading entrails too, and Katie wondered if that was where the idea to help her get used to killing things came from. She wondered if Rachel still liked watching shit like that, only now she did it without her. Yeah. She moistened her lips, an arm around Rachel to keep herself tethered to something solid. He wouldn't let me leave, but he said he'd protect me from them if I stay in town and he can help me control my list. Can he? They were walking towards the coffee shop on campus where Rocket was guarding a table. I guess. I don't know. He's got he's got hearts and eyes in fucking jars. Rachel's dark eyes sparkled. Seriously? That's sick. Sick in the head, yeah. He's eating them to get information, I think. I don't know how it works. And he's insane. He's talking to the house like it's alive. Katie shuddered. I think he's killed the owner and put her in the walls or something. Is he still human passing? Did you see his... Rachel paused, dropping her voice. Other form. Katie shook her head. He's basically the same, yeah. He looks like there's something wrong with him. You know, ill. I don't know. 
I reckon it's what he's doing. It's draining him. Rocket waved them over as they entered through the heavy double doors, the sandwich and drinks queue already growing. He'd bagged a round table for four, one of the good ones with decent seats. His reflective jacket was draped on the chair opposite him, a flashy marker. His big grin made Katie's heart flip. Hey, you! She beamed back, pushing her hair back behind her ear. I tried to reply. I couldn't get signal. Rachel arched an eyebrow. Did you try and reply to me? Katie darted her an evil glare. Yes. Rocket scraped his chair back and gave Katie a bear hug. Bring it in, Rach, she said, waving Rachel over with one arm to Katie's disappointment. She hugged Rocket's stocky chest and Rachel joined in. Right. Rocket let them both go and Katie drew her chair a little closer than necessary until their knees were almost touching, knowing he wasn't aware of how narrow the gap was. Katie got abducted. Rachel was always first with the news. Katie was grateful. She ran out of steam by the second telling of anything and Rachel told stories better than she could. Shut the front door. Rachel relayed the context of Cousin Ricky, Rocket's face an expressive picture of disgust and fascinated horror. He sat back when she'd finished, knee bumping against Katie's. Sorry, wow, that's mad. Katie shrugged, shifting slightly, hoping it would happen again. What do you think I should do? Rocket shook his head. The apples of his round cheeks were pink with the heating in his thick jumper, easily twice the size of her. She imagined his weight against her instead of Alex's that night after the Rorschach and pressed her thighs together. Well, he let you come to college, so can he... can he be trusted? I mean, do you think he can actually help you with the list? That's what you want, right? A way of taking everyone off. Katie didn't look at Rachel, who knew that was not exactly what she wanted. Yeah, of course. Okay. Rocket frowned, forehead creasing. Do you think he wants to hurt you? Katie considered this. I mean, no. Not me. I don't know. I think... I think he likes me? Like, not like that. I think he just... She got lost in the tangle of Cousin Ricky's possible motives. I don't know. He wants me to do him a favour, but we didn't get that far. I think it's probably about the list. He probably wants me to put people on it for him. Right, but once you change, that's up to you. Could you take him? Theoretically. Like, is he... He sounds like he knows how to handle himself, but if you really knew how to fight and you had the advantage, what do you think? In my dreams, I'm pretty much invincible. Katie cast a glance at Rachel, fiddling with her purse and eyeing the queue. Are you getting anything? Rachel pulled her face. Hot chocolate? What do you want? tea? Rocket shook his head and leaned back in his chair, balancing on its back legs as Rachel stood up. Had a sandwich, I'm good. Sure? Meh. Hot chocolate, go on. Rachel gave Katie a meaningful look that Rocket missed as he swung back and leaned on the table. Katie mirrored him, knotting her fingers together and chewing her cheek, and Rachel left them alone together. Is there any way of telling what he thinks? Katie asked. Any... she dropped her voice. Any magic? Something like that. Gran never showed me a lot of that stuff. Every time I asked, she said I was too young, that I wouldn't need it, you know. Yeah, there's stuff. Rocket shifted closer, pressing her leg with his by accident, and she leaned in, not looking at him. I can let you borrow this if you want. He pulled a knot of leather cords from around his neck, scooping them out of his jumper and separating one of three identical amulets, a blue Nazar bead with a painted eye. My bonjuk has a bit of power, he said, working it free and handing it over. This one is... A bit special. I can't take this. Sure you can. My call, anyway. Katie took it and undid her own necklace with her half of a best friend heart on it. She threaded the flat glass bead onto it and Rocket helped her reclasp it. His thick fingers were surprisingly nimble. They brushed her neck and she squeezed her hands together. Keep it next to your skin, Rocket said. If someone wishes you harm, it warms up. 
She nodded. Cool. Right. Hey, if we can't stop you changing, we can keep you safe, yeah? Rocket gave her a soft stare, and Katie's heart clenched painfully at that expression like it had every time for two years. Rocket had been her best friend since the junk sculpture experiment in primary school, when he was still just Ruslan Karyusuf, and he'd added something retrieved from his uncle's latest gin hunt to his model of a spaceship. He'd ended up demonstrating magical jet propulsion the length of the playing field, coming to rest halfway up a tree. Katie, the serious, silent, creepy girl, had climbed up to keep him company while someone fetched a ladder. She'd offered him a strawberry bootlace while he clung grimly onto his branch like a plump kitten. Everyone had called him Roos the Rocket after that, and it had stuck. Today, apparently, they had graduated from sharing strawberry bootlaces to magical artefacts. She tucked it inside her own jumper, one she'd packed for London, silver and pastel pink threads gleaming under the spotlights. This bore no traces of Ricky's rough handling, and she almost wished it did so she could show him evidence of what Ricky was, warn him with a visual aid. I might go back to the crows, Katie said, Fairwood's windows and casements popping back into her mind as if it had caught her unease and whispered, don't mind him. I want to learn to control my list, and if I can trust him, maybe I can find out what his favour is, maybe I can use that as leverage if I need to. I don't know. I don't know what to do, honestly. Look, if he's serious and is offering to teach you, go for it. You learn about family magic, or whatever this is in your case, from your actual family. Not your fault they're all shit. It's worth a shot, but if there's a cost, only you can weigh that up. Rocket studied her with a harder edge, and Katie was reminded that he'd seen things most 17-year-olds only had night terrors about. But you have to be sure. Some paths you can't walk back from. She traced a finger over the round bump the bead made hidden behind the fabric. From nowhere, she wanted to tell him about the squirrels, perhaps because it had been on her mind this morning, but that meant outing Rachel's early proclivities, and that wasn't fair, wasn't for her to do. What's the range like on this thing? Pretty good, or it's useless to us, Rocket said, leaning back in his chair. On cue, the amulet started to heat up, a warm patch of warning against her skin, and she scanned the room. Alex's girlfriend had come in and spotted them. Katie remembered shagging Alex at a house party, then later finding Jen wrapped around him, snogging his face off. That was how she'd found out he wasn't as single as he'd claimed, but Jen seemed to think Katie had known all along. The amulet burned. Yeah, it works great, Katie said, glancing away. If you're enjoying the podcast um, and you don't want to buy the books, that's fine. Um, if you'd like to support me on Ko-fi though and just drop a tip in the jar, you can do that instead. And that's uh, www.ko-fi, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens. It would be much appreciated.